If there's ever a time where we needed to pull together as believers of Christ and, and unite and try to strengthen and make the world a better place, it's now. Mm-hmm. And that, that sounds like he's yeah. preaching our message. <laughs> there's one body, one church, one spirit, one hope. The realities of the faith, the ra- realities that unify us are already there. Christ praying for unity. What should we be praying for? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the one prayer request of Jesus. Think about it in the Bible that we actually have a say in whether or not it comes to fruition or not. I think in what God has done in you guys in uh, in this podcast and the, the multitude of folks that you're reaching, the diversity, whatever God intended when he's, when you started this, he's able to bring it to completion. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another bonus episode of The Whole Church Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Joshua Knoll, here with your other co-host, the host you love the most, TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. Hey. Hi. Hi. And uh, today we are here with a special guest, a professor and academic advisor at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington, my, I wish, alma mater, I guess. <laughs> I um, I did go to school there. I never finished, but uh, it's Professor Chris Moreland. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says we can call him Chris, so don't think we're rude, please. Um, <laughs> and uh, so... Yeah, uh, I, I do want to do a quick shout out to Jacob Stone for saying that his favorite water was great value because that is also mine. Um, y'all will get that later on when we do a full episode tomorrow. So tune back in if you want to hear more of uh, Chris Moreland tomorrow and more about water bottles. Also, um, <laughs> uh, Stone saw our business cards, took all of them from me and has been handing them out. So thanks, Stone. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Stone. Um, so, uh, Chris, we usually open with a silly question. Mm-hmm. Uh, during our last bonus segment, we decided that doing a full silly question just takes up too much time. So we only did a half of one. So we're going to let you answer half of a silly question. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you had to. Now, feel free to give half an answer if you want. All right. Yeah, so the question is just if you had to. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, if I have to, uh, I would say, um, but only if I want to. That's all right. That's a good uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I said. <laughs> uh, we always like to start with a, a new guest with kind of like your elevator testimony, uh, just where you've been in your life, how you've gotten to where you are, something like that. Uh, So do you think you could give us your short form testimony? Sure. Um, I have been in academia my entire life. I've never taken a break from it. And I went all the way through from kindergarten to the PhD program, uh, only to stop to get a full-time job as an academic (laughs) advisor. Nice. 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 Um, now, for for our listeners, you have grown up in the Catholic Church. Um, a lot of our listeners are Protestant, mostly Protestant. Um, so we we always like to kind of get a background on on sort of you know, when we talk to Catholics or uh, people of the Orthodox faith, just kind of get a better background and understanding of how you came to what you believe. Um, the Catholic Church you were you were born into it. So yes. is there like a um, would you say there's a salvation point in your story or are you just kind of baptized and grow into your faith or how does that work in the Catholic faith? 
um, in the Catholic faith, you're baptized, and then you make an assertion of free will, where you confirm your baptism at confirmation. Um, but there's, of course, First Communion, and you know, you sort of live out your faith. You choose to accept Christ by living out your faith on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So w- one thing that's always intrigued me, because um, because I, I didn't grow up Catholic, so I always found it interesting, was that uh, the, the Catholic faith, it's not that, you, you're, from my understanding, it's not that your works earn salvation or anything like that, but it kind of works hand in hand, right? So you're kind of born with baptism. Uh, is confirmation kind of your your statement of, I do have faith, uh, then you work it out? Is that sort of how that, uh, am I portraying that right? I would say so. Confirmation, you know, your parents make the promise on your behalf when you're baptized, because obviously you're a baby and you can't articulate it. But because you're born into the Christian family, They do it for you. And then confirmation is where you say, yes, I accept the promises made on my behalf by my parents at baptism. Yeah. Now, a lot of Protestants listening, um, my brother particular, I know for sure, don't believe in baby baptism at all. Um, So I I do wonder, does the Catholic faith have a, a second baptism, so to speak? Like you're baptized as a baby. Do you also get baptized later on when you proclaim it for yourself or is it just... That one time is good enough. That one time is good enough. It's highly unusual for adults to be baptized. The only thing that's been happening a bit more in the contemporary period is that during the 60s and 70s, people were trying to be trendy and they were like, I baptize you in the name of the Redeemer, the Sanctifier, and, you know, I can't remember the last part of it. And that, in our faith, that is not considered to be a legitimate baptism. It has to be done in the name of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No substitutions are accepted. And so if we know that someone has been baptized using that formula, they will need to be rebaptized. Okay. Yeah. Now, our, our church also does that. Uh, you have to, it has to be in the name of the Trinity, Triune mm-hmm. God. So that's, um, I think that's, you know, it's a good point of uh, unity, if we were going to talk about unity. Um now, I, I'm curious, I, I don't know if you would know this or not, but uh, from my understanding, the way early church, like in the book of Acts, they are mostly baptizing adults in like a river. How, how do we evolve from that to baby te- baptism? Because I know the Catholic Church is sort of a direct evolution from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it has to do as the church moves from a, uh, you know, in a group that is beginning in a pagan and Jewish world to a group that has become part of, you know, the governmental structure and part of everyday life. So you're beginning, you know, a second generation, third generation, fourth generation of Christians. And as stuff like that happens, it becomes more and more formalized. Okay. Interesting. Um, I'm sorry. This will be my last question on baptism. I promise. Mm -hmm. So if someone you know, I, I don't know if converts is the right word, but, you know, if a Protestant converts to Catholicism or whatever word I'm supposed to use for that, and they were already baptized in the name of the triune God, would they be baptized again in the Catholic faith or is that? Absolutely not. We would probably ask questions, though, if we got someone who converted to Catholicism and they were Mormon, uh, Jehovah's Witness, Seventh-day Adventist, Unitarian. um we would really have to ask some questions. And also, if the person 
you know, came from a denomination or a specific church within a denomination that was known for being very theologically lax, we would want to make sure that the uh, baptism was done in the name of the Holy Trinity. Okay. So, but if like a, um, you know, I I guess Southern Baptists are your standard Protestants, at least where we're from. Uh, If Southern Baptist Joe Mm -hmm. decided to convert to Catholicism, he wouldn't be rebaptized. No. No, he would go through confirmation only. Interesting. All right. And if when he was baptized, they said Holy Ghost instead of Holy Spirit, would that change things? Not at all. Okay. Didn't think so. Good to know. Because I've definitely heard a a good friend of ours who's baptized a a good number of people say Holy Ghost. Yeah, it's perfectly acceptable. Is that Christ? Does Christ do that? Uh, Chucky. Ah, okay. That's cool. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, I, I believe you told us some of your personal views on the liturgy over email. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us in on a couple of them. As members of a non-liturgical church, uh, we were hoping that you could explain your view some here for us, for us and our listeners. My views on the liturgy? Yeah. The liturgy uh, in our faith is a reenactment of the sacrifice in Calvary and the Last Supper. It is the work of the people. Liturgia means work of the people, but it is also a sanctifying act that is done uh, by God, to God, and with God. Um, And so the liturgy is considered in our church to be the wellspring, the font, the source, the pinnacle of the Christian life. So all the graces flow from the act of the liturgy. Uh, it's incredibly important. Uh, it is the it is the center point of our lives. Everything else flows from that. It's ancillary. And so, if you are the sort of Catholic that does everything else, but you're not participating in liturgical life, there's a serious problem. Okay. Um, I- I'm probably just going to show some of my ignorance here. Uh, when you say the liturgy, mm-hmm. are you only referring to like Sunday mass, like just showing up to Sunday mass and doing Sunday mass? Or is there more meant by liturgy than just that? The liturgy is the holy sacrifice of the mass. Now, of course, your day, holy day of obligation is Sunday, but some Catholics choose to go every day. Uh, and there have been, I believe, some exceptions made if, um, you know, someone is in a position, an impossible situation where they cannot get to Mass on Sunday. I think exceptions can be made so they could go on another day of the week, and that would count as their obligation. But it's fairly rare. Right. But when you say the liturgy, you're talking about um, the Eucharist then? Or? The liturgy is the Mass. The liturgy. Okay. It is the Mass. Okay. The liturgy is the Mass. All right. Uh, One of the ways that we've been told that Protestants and Catholics differ the most concerns the real presence of Christ in the sacraments. Mm -hmm. Uh, Could you unpack what that means for us? So Jesus Christ is fully present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the bread and the wine, which are transubstantiated into his true body and his true blood. Yeah, so— all right. I've always been kind of intrigued by 
I'm trying trying to word this carefully. I, you know, I want to be as respectful as possible. Oh, of um, more or less, I, I I do apologize for my lack of finesse, but uh, uh, it's just a um, I don't understand why it's been as made as big a deal as it is. Um, which, which I do think it's just because I don't understand the practice, right? Mm-hmm. Because from my understanding, a lot of the people who don't believe it's literally Christ's body and blood, you know, like our church or um, I won't speak for Lutherans. Lutherans are always usually somewhere in between, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Baptist church, I know for sure. Uh, we'll, we'll say that Christ is literally present as in his spirit is there, but we won't believe that that's his body and blood. Mm-hmm. Why does it... um? Why does there a need for it to be the physical body and blood? Like, why does that matter? And, and I do, I know I, I could have worded that much better, but I just can't think of the words. Well, there are a lot of answers to that question, theological, spiritual. Um, I would say that the idea that, you know, God has become, you know, that God is among us and that also that we really believe in doing what was there in the early church. We believe that if this is what the first Christians believed, then this is what we're going to believe. He said, this is my body, this is my blood. That was the teaching of the apostles. And the first apostles that, you know, the first church fathers knew the apostles, and they passed on that apostolic tradition. So we do that in obedience to him. And I think it's very important that we know what we come together to celebrate at Mass. Do we come to celebrate ourselves, or are we coming to worship God? Yeah. Right. Okay, so, again, just please let me know if I'm not being respectful enough of it or anything, but um, I- I'm genuinely just curious. So, well, because I know it's such a big divide, and I know it's obviously been said before that, oh, you know, we, we just believe that Christ meant that figuratively, and that, mm-hmm. that you know, clearly has not settled the divide over the issue. So um, why why is it improper for a Catholic to believe that it's figurative? Because it, they, they clearly are not taught that. So why are we, where does that difference come from is what I'm trying to get at, I guess. Well, the difference comes really from out of the Reformation. The issue in the East, between the East and the West in terms of what the Eucharist is um, we're really not that big of a deal. Even to this day, there's an entire portion of the Catholic Church known as the Eastern Catholics, and they refer to the Eucharist through the, through the phrase divine mystery rather than transubstantiation. So we've had no problems with that. But the idea that the real, but any sort of attack on the real presence or alternative sort of perspectives on the Eucharist come in very late in Christian history. Okay. So, so it's just that it doesn't align with tradition. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah, absolutely not. This is yeah. something that people yeah. have put their life on the line for. Right. And I think what the, my disconnect is, which is probably a lot of Protestants disconnect is, you know, for Catholics, tradition is just as high as the Bible. Mm-hmm. Whereas for us, it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, tradition. <laughs> so well, we don't take Martin Luther's words as, authoritative or anything like that tradition is essentially what was oral history and what became customary among the early christians and was exemplified and talked about by the early church fathers all right awesome uh so that's 
good timing. I think we're out of questions <laughs> for the bonus episode. Uh, yeah. yeah um, well, now <laughs> we're going to include Father Jonathan's already joined in for the full episode. I, I'm going to include you for one part of the bonus if you're okay, just jumping in. Sure thing. Um, <laughs> Father Jonathan, uh, it, of the Orthodox Church, could you explain to us uh, when we talk about the divine mystery of the Eucharist? When the Orthodox Church says that, um, uh, Chris was just talking about that. What does the Orthodox Church mean by divine mystery when referring to that? Uh, so, in the Orthodox Church, the the term mysteria is is our term for sacrament. Uh, and so what we would say is it's not so much a mystery like we might think of it as a false friend with English, where we would say something like it's mysterious or we don't understand it. A mystery is any instance where God um, manifests himself uh, in the midst of the world. And so uh, we wouldn't limit our understanding of mystery or sacrament to, to even uh, particular sacraments within the church. But life itself is a, is a mystery in the sense that God uh, enters into a deep relationship with his world on many facets. Uh, so the mystery of the Eucharist, though, or the uh, we would be specifically talking in two ways. Either uh, you'd be talking about uh, the Eucharist as a noun, which would be um, the body and blood, or Eucharist as an action, which is the coming together of the Eucharistic assembly, uh, namely the church. And it's what constitutes the church. The church is the church in its most truest sense um, when it is gathered together in the unity of the Eucharistic act. Okay. So just, just to be blatant with it, and then we'll wrap up this bonus episode. Um, does the Orthodox church believe it's literal body and blood of Jesus when they take it? Yes. I don't, we don't have a, a doctrine akin to transubstantiation, um, at least not as articulated as such, but we do uh, believe that it is the, the very presence, the very true body and blood of Christ. Uh, okay. Uh, while still being what it is, uh, which is bread and wine simultaneously. All right. Just like so we too banned. become his very body in mm -hmm. the Eucharistic act. And uh, while we still are our unique, unrepeatable selves, we are also members of his body. Literally. That's really interesting. Yeah, I haven't heard that before. That's um, very useful. Mm -hmm. So um, awesome. Well, uh, uh, that being said, um, uh, Professor Moreland, did you have uh, anything else that the listeners need to know about you before we record the full episode that they're all going to get tomorrow? Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head. I've just had a really good past year. Uh, I've been part-time or unemployed for all of my life. I've been in school, and so now I have a real adult day job, and it's wonderful. Why didn't I do this 10 years ago? <laughs> yeah, then I, you could have been one of my professors then. <laughs> so when I was uh, I was at uh, UNCW doing uh, all my fun religious studies, um, man, it's it's been an honor. I'm sure we're going to build on everything we said here in the full episode that our listeners will get again tomorrow. So make sure you listen in then if you want to kind of hear us build on what we just talked about. I'm sure it'll be worth it. It's always a joy to talk to Father Jonathan and... I'm enjoying getting to know Professor Moreland as we speak. So right. yeah. it'll be great stuff. Cool. Cool. So, so that's it, right? Well, I was going to let you do the outro. We don't need an outro for a bonus episode. Okay. So if you guys enjoyed this bonus <laughs> segment, 
<laughs> Please share it with a friend. If you didn't, listen to tomorrow's. It might be better. <laughs> right. Awesome.